Good afternoon, Jesse. Thank you for inviting me back to speak to your group today. I also want to thank Carl Levon from Financial First, uh, Financial Literacy First for inviting me to speak again to your group. Today, we're going to do a very interesting presentation on investing or speculating in Bitcoin and blockchain technology. And I'm sharing my screen with you. And first of all, as an investment advisor who does have clients around the United States, I do have to issue a disclaimer at the front of every presentation. And that is, this is not uh, a suggestion. I'm sorry. Uh, this is not a suggestion to uh, buy or sell uh, securities. This is not a suggestion or investment advice to buy or sell securities. It is a educational presentation on investing and speculating in Bitcoin. And we hope that you'll walk away with this with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more uh, certainty of how to go ahead and begin investing, because this is the next new thing. Many people uh, talk about artificial intelligence. People are talking about chat GPT, this new uh, artificial intelligence chat box that you can use. And AI and blockchain are going to work seamlessly together in the future. Do you really think that, that, that the robots and the electric vehicles and the cars that are going in the, in the technology that's going to run everything is going to accept US dollars or gold coins or silver bars or silverware? No, it's going to accept cryptocurrency and blockchain. And that's how, and we're going to talk about how we can potentially invest and speculate in that. And again, past performance is no guarantee of future success. Bitcoin is up 78% this year in 2023, still down from its highs. Of course, we know that, but um, let's get into this. Investments and speculation opportunities in cryptocurrency. So there's three main way, ways that people can today can invest in digital assets. And I use the term digital assets because it's a an umbrella phrase. It includes Bitcoin, which is a digital cash. It includes Ethereum, Ethereum is considered a digital operating system like Apple OS or Android, um, DOS 6.0, you know, Windows 3.1, Windows XP, like things that act as an operating system is what Ethereum is designed to do. And so we call it, we call those digital assets. So there's three main ways that you can invest in digital assets today. One is through the, the means of exchange traded funds, which is very similar to a mutual fund. I'm sure you've all heard of ETFs, physical cryptocurrency, which means you actually go to an ATM machine or you open up an exchange, uh, open up an account in an exchange like Coinbase and begin buying and selling cryptocurrencies from there. And the third way is a more popular way, technically, and that is to invest in the pick and shovels of the cryptocurrency space, the brick and mortar businesses like Coinbase and MicroStrategies and other companies that are involved in, in this, PayPal, Visa, et cetera. So let's begin to discuss some of the exchange-traded funds that are available out, out in the, uh, to, to the most US investors. Now, I included the name of the exchange-traded fund and the symbol of the particular fund. Now, why did I do that? Because for you who are going to be watching this presentation, either in real time now as we, we do it live or in a recorded version on YouTube, you have in all 
likelihood in IRA, which is an individual retirement account, you have a 401k, either at your current employer or at a previous employer that you've just left behind, may have a few thousand dollars in it, it may have $10,000 in it, may have more, but you just haven't gotten around to moving it over. And typically those assets don't stay there. If you have a 401k from a previous employer, more than likely you'll do something called a rollover and bring it over to TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, et cetera, et cetera. And actually the bulk of our clients have us manage their previous 401k assets and, and convert it to a rollover IRA. But anyhow, why do I say that? Because these symbols I'm providing you are going to be available on the platform for your individual retirement account, whether it's a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, or a rollover IRA, or even a self-directed 401k. So the first one I would like to talk about is the ProShares Bitcoin ETF. That symbol is BITO, B-I-T-O. BITO actually takes your money and purchases futures contracts at the Chicago Mercantile, which is one of the largest exchanges in the United States. So your allocation, your ownership of Bitcoin is done through a symbol BITO, right? So ProShares is not the custodian. They are the sponsor of the ETF. The first name always represents the sponsor of the exchange traded fund. So if you were to go into your Charles Schwab account or your Fidelity account and Instead of, instead of buying shares of Apple or Microsoft, Google, Chevron, any other company, you would type in the symbol BITO. And if Bitcoin went up in value, that exchange traded fund would go up in value. If, you went, if, you went, if it went down in value, you'd suffer the loss just as well. So the Bitcoin ProShares uh, BITO BITO is a exchange traded fund that has been granted permission has been approved by the Securities and Exchange Commission to be listed on an exchange. The second one is a company called Bitwise. Now, I kind of like Bitwise. They're local in a way. They have representatives here in the Chicago area where I operate of, out of. But they have two uh, exchange-traded funds. Those symbols are BITW and BITQ. Now, typically, the BITW and BITQ invest in either companies like the brick and mortar companies of exchange traded funds, or they themselves are a closed fund. Um, it's a it's a um, it's an investment vehicle, like a trust account uh, that you're able to invest in. And the symbols there would be BITW and BITQ. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. Then the next two are the most popular: Grayscale Bitcoin Investment and Trust. The Grayscale is the company that came to the dance first. They're the first company that offered investors a way to invest in Bitcoin in their IRAs, in a regular investment account, in their 401ks. And it isn't technically an exchange-traded fund. That's why I have the asterisk next to the symbol. GBT stands for the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust Company. It is a trust account. Maybe some of you actually have a family trust where if you die, your assets are are granted, the grantor puts assets into a trust. Grayscale takes your money from GBTC, buys Bitcoin, and then locks it up in a trust on your behalf. Now, they are the custodians of that. The same thing with the Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. That symbol is GDLC. The same rules apply. It's a closed-end grantor trust. It isn't exactly like an exchange-traded fund, which means... There isn't as much transparency and fluidity uh, in the back office, and it's not technically an exchange-traded fund, 
but you can buy and sell it during the day. Exchange-traded funds generally trade very, very close to something called their net asset value because there are, there's an arbitrage available where the underlying components like the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average trade very, very close to the, those indexes trade very, very close to the value of the exchange-traded funds. And that's a beautiful mechanism so that things don't get too far out of line. <clears throat> Excuse me. A trust can trade wildly above its net asset value, depending on investor sentiment, or it can trade way underneath its net asset value, depending on pessimism. And right now, there's some pessimism out here with the Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund and all, all the Grayscale products, to be honest with you. These funds are trading between 30 and 40% under net asset value. So what would it be like? It would be like if you lived in Colorado. Say you lived in Marble, Colorado. I have a client there from that lives in Marble. And if her house was valued by, say, Zillow at $250,000, but all she can do on a, on a local level is maybe get $150 for it, you would say that her, um, you would say that the value of her home is under, it's under value. It's under the net asset value. If all the houses on a particular block were worth a trading at a million dollars, but my house was 700,000 or 500,000, you'd say it was 50% under net asset value. So it's just a way of understanding that there's fair value, the, the, the intrinsic value of everything that you're holding. There's the premium, which is somebody really, really wants it badly, or the discount if somebody doesn't want it as much. And the reason why the Great Scale Bitcoins trusts are trading at under net asset value is because of some pending uh, legal action against the Securities and Exchange Commission. Because the SEC, in their opinion, is not acting on behalf of their, um, with their mandate. Their mandate is to protect investors from nefarious actions. Their jobs are to make sure that these products are, are, are clean and safe for investors. But what they've done by not issuing any kind of regulation or rule book regarding cryptocurrency, these particular funds are trading at a discount. And actually, potentially could be an extra kicker, an extra profit if you were to buy these and Grayscale wins their um, lawsuit against the Securities and Exchange Commission. And I'm going to tell you, after watching the SEC Chairman Gary Gensler in front of the uh, House Committee testifying on why the SEC is targeting cryptocurrency companies, I had to tell you, they... The, the chairman of the exchange did not do a very good job of representing himself or the or his ideas or his mission statement. And so there are billions of dollars that are are being locked up right now that are waiting to go back up to net asset value. So the grayscale products themselves have a really interesting uh, dynamic, both on the risky side and to be able to make more money on the profit side, potentially. Then lastly is Coinbase Global. Coinbase Global is a brick and mortar company. They are an exchange to buy and sell. They're a wallet that you can download on your phone to buy and sell cryptocurrency. They have roughly 25 or 30 different business models. In my opinion, Coinbase is one of the most important early adopter companies that are out there on the, on the New York Stock Exchange or in the over-the-counter market. They, have, they, they make money by helping companies develop cryptocurrency products. They have they have custodian, uh, they, they custody products like a bank does. Huge asset managers want to buy 
cryptocurrency, they let Coinbase hold it for them and protect it for them, just like a bank holds assets or a bank might hold property inside its trust account. <clears throat> they have a point of sale platform that allows you as a store owner, or maybe you go to a farmer's market and you want to accept Bitcoin as, as, as legal tender, as money. You can use the point of sale products. There's just both institutional, which is like professional money management, and the retail side, which is everybody else like you and me, can use Coinbase for their tools. And I, I highly suggest just for information purpose only, just to do your own research, go to the Coinbase website and take a look at their business model. Take a look at the other businesses and you'll see at least 20 different ways that they're looking to monetize cryptocurrency and, and blockchain technology. It's absolutely fascinating. Now, the shares of Bitto, as I had said before, we're going to go a little bit deeper now into the nuances here. If you have any questions, this is a great time to ask. But the ProShares Bitto, symbol B-I-T-O, it's an exchange-traded fund which invests in Bitcoin futures contracts at the mercantile. Now, Bitto is the company that helps manage that portfolio of only the front month Bitcoin futures. I don't want to get too much into that detail, whether it's a front month or a middle of the month or a back month doesn't really matter that much with Bitcoin, but let me just say that it is a product, Bitcoin, which is a decentralized um, self-sovereign money or form of digital currency that's actually listed on a highly regulated exchange like the Chicago Mercantile. And that's, that's actually Grayscale's biggest beef, their biggest frustration. That's why they're suing the SEC. And that is the SEC would permit the, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to list a Bitcoin product. But why can't you, and, and remember, derivatives, derives, derivatives comes from the word, it derives its value from an underlying value. So derivatives are like the second version of a product. So the Chicago Mercantile can invest in a, in a derivative of a Bitcoin product, but the actual singular first one, like the, the Bitcoin ETF, where you, it holds Bitcoin in a fund that's not permitted. That's that's crazy, says the, the Grayscale Fund. You're, you've got it backwards. The Bitwise, I had sent that in the second um, present part of the presentation. Their symbol is BITQ. Now, what this does is this is an exchange-traded fund that's like an index. It doesn't really invest your money in cryptocurrency. It kind of takes your money and provides a like, a, a similar return in these products. And as of December 30th, they owned a company called Galaxy Digital, Coinbase, MicroStrategy, and Applied Digital. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I got those two mixed up. BITQ actually is a cap-weighted index of global companies that support cryptocurrency. So companies like Galaxy Digital, Coinbase, MicroStrategies, which is traded on the exchange, Applied Digital, these are all publicly traded companies. And they take those, just like the Dow Jones Industrial 30 has... Microsoft, General Motors, Ford, Tesla, Bank of America, like all these companies inside the index, that's what Bitwise does with their BITQ. You're not technically owning cryptocurrency. You own shares and companies that are really into cryptocurrency. So that might be uh, like a, a pick and shovel, uh, brick and mortar type of business, where theoretically the, the vision goes, if Bitcoin and blockchain technology is everything it says, it, it promises to be then these companies will go up in value. And if they happen to fall under the weight of SEC regulation, then they're not going to do very well either. So again, the risk here is, the risk reward is that if blockchain becomes a thing, 
these companies are going to do really, really well. If blockchain doesn't become a thing and it's a target of regulation or um, political problems, then this exchange traded fund is not going to do well. The next symbol is symbol BITW. This functions as an open end fund, just like the Grayscale products. It's a trust. It buys all these products for you. Bitcoin is, an, is a digital asset. Ethereum is a digital asset. Cardano, Polygon, Solana, Polkadot, Litecoin. These are all very, very, very popular cryptocurrencies. As a matter of fact, these are in the top 10, the top 10 of cryptocurrencies. You could ask the question, what are the top 10 companies in the S&P 500? What are the top 10 communities where houses are over a million dollars? What are the top 10 football teams, right? What are the top 10 baseball teams? And you're going to rank the top 10 out of 100 or out of a million. There's roughly 10,000 cryptocurrencies out there. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Polygon, Solana, Polkadot, and Litecoin are in the top 10 of cryptocurrencies. So when you buy BITW, you're getting, you're buying an interest in a fund that, in a trust fund that holds these cryptocurrencies for you. And as I can see in the double asterisk here, it's currently trading at 55% below the net asset value. So if it's trading for approximately $8 per token, that means the intrinsic net asset value is $16 per share, right? Per, per share. So think of it like that. Very interesting way of maybe for those of you that are speculators, not only is cryptocurrency in itself a speculative investment where you can lose everything, but this adds a little extra juice to it, right? Because even if Bitcoin doesn't go up in value, but the SEC begins to favor crypto companies, this thing will be up about 100%. It'll double in value even if Bitcoin and blockchain and these technologies stay the same. Um, so that's also a really interesting dynamic going out there. It's trading way under net asset value. So symbol GBTC is a, was called a grantor trust. Um, it is the only way that products like Bitcoin and blockchain could come to the marketplace and open themselves up to retail and public investment which has really been a wonderful thing. In the old days, when there was a premium, uh, a lot of, what do they call it, FOMO, fear of missing out, a lot of hype, right before it, uh, Bitcoin was listed at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, this particular product, we're trading at maybe 30, 40, or 50% above net asset value. So if you looked on your little investment app, on your like TD Ameritrade app or your Fidelity app and saw that GBTC or GDLC was trading at, say $30 a share, the intrinsic value, the net asset value was 30. It was actually trading like 60 or 50 in the, in the market. So you have to be very, very careful when you're investing in these type of products to make sure you're not paying too much above net asset value, right? Because again, let's go back to houses. Say you live on a block of houses that are $200,000. Every house is roughly the same in the neighborhood. Are you going to pay $400,000 for a house just because you feel like it, because it's just the only house that's for sale? No, you would do a comparison. You would have an inspector come and say, hey, you know, this house is not worth 400. All the other houses on the block are worth 200. Or your bank, your bank is never going to lend you money on a house that's the only one on a block that's trading twice as much. These products are kind of like the same thing. Investors beware, speculators beware. When you buy these, you have to do your research to see, am I buying it under net asset value? 
or am I paying way over net asset value, a premium, right? So remember that. Brick and mortar companies that are currently trading in the United States, and this is just a small list, companies like Coinbase Global, as I said, MicroStrategy, PayPal, PayPal, Visa, and MasterCard are these companies that see the efficiency and cost savings and the global monetary supply that they can begin transacting on. Visa and MasterCard roughly transact, I think, about 65,000 transactions per second, where Bitcoin is just maybe a few hundred. So the technology with Bitcoin doesn't make it a good payment rail system. But there's other already second iterations, third iterations of blockchain technology that PayPal and Visa and MasterCard are going to use. Now, here's another example. When I had a, um, when I bought my first cell phone, my cell phone would connect to the local um, T-Mobile or Verizon tower. And it would use these towers to transmit my voice, right? When I'm making a phone call to my mom or to my dad. A cell phone really is just a radio with a keypad. The signal is established between my house and my phone and that big cell phone tire that you see down the block. It goes into their network, their phone network, and connects my call from me or to Jesse or from me to Maru or from me to Michelle, right? That's how it works. But now we have Wi-Fi calling, right? Wi-Fi is a new technology that's relatively new. My phone uses the Wi-Fi router at my house or, or this mesh network that's local to help make my phone calls more popular and, and, and clearer and faster and more efficient. So now the cell phone company can begin using not just their primary towers, but they can use cell phone routers and they can use internet routers in people's homes to help make phone calls. Why is that important? Because PayPal, Visa, and MasterCard run a very, very expensive, incredibly expensive server payment rail system that is doing transactions. I'm buying food. I'm buying Starbucks. I'm going shopping. People are crediting my credit. You know, they're making, uh, if I buy something and return it, the credit goes back onto my card. So there's this huge infrastructure. And even today, like we're, we're doing this call using Zoom, which uses voice over internet protocol. That's a type of technology. Bitcoin is also a technology like voice over internet protocol. And so what MasterCard, Visa, and PayPal have done is they've realized that there's a global network that's everywhere in the globe that they can transact money with, and they don't have to set up a cell phone tower. They don't have to put a server room in there. They don't need to have a bank in there. I mean, we have it made in America. We have a bank almost on every busy corner. We have awesome apps that we can engage with our local Chase Bank or our Bank of America. But there's of the 8 billion people on the planet, there's about 6 billion people can't do that. They don't have a bank. They can borrow money or uh, uh, do a remittance, send money from here to the Philippines or from here to El Salvador, right? The banking system is still very, very old, but everybody has a cell phone. Everybody can, and these, these networks for Bitcoin and blockchain are already around the globe. So it's almost like PayPal, Visa, Card, Visa and MasterCard now have a computer network in place that was put in place by Bitcoiners that they can use in order to make payment, send US dollars around the globe. <clears throat> so again, PayPal, Visa, and MasterCard have, they understand the power of blockchain technology and are going to be using it to become more profitable. Anybody here who's got a business has to pay a 4% processing fee. 
maybe 6% processing fee with American Express. There's banking fees, point of sale fees. We're moving away from a digital economy to a, I'm sorry, from a cash economy to a digital economy. And when interest rates were really low about two years ago, almost zero, why were, why were companies like Visa and MasterCard charging you know, 8% all in or banks 8% in order to transact and process credit card information? So now Visa and MasterCard, like Verizon and other companies are gonna be utilizing the back end technology-wise in order to make their companies way more profitable. The CME group, you'd like guys like you eat bacon, pork bellies. If you're traveling to Europe, you got using Euro dollars. The S&P 500, <clears throat> milk, butter, eggs, sugar, all these soft commodities are traded at the Chicago Mercantile Group. The CME Group is a futures exchange that's highly, highly profitable. Now they trade Bitcoin futures. They trade Ethereum futures. They're soon to be trading Solana futures. So imagine, if you will, the Chicago Mercantile, which makes billions of dollars in revenue by being able to buy and sell futures contracts on the S&P 500, the Russell, insurance companies, pension funds, teacher pension funds, massive, massive investment firms all go to the CME group to hedge and protect against their investments for you, for the pension plan. When you log into your Fidelity or TD account, when you're making allocations in your 401k, that probably in one way or another goes to the CME group in, in, in a transaction. So it's really interesting that the CME group sees the future of blockchain technology, sees the future of cryptocurrency, and are permitting large institutional companies, the big, big, big guys, to come to their trading room, to their trading floor, and <clears throat> buy and sell cryptocurrency. And Block is another company which is like um, a payment process, um, a, a payment processing that that um, is for small retail vendors. Like they they sell a little device that you can swipe your credit card with your phone app, right? You've seen those uh, like Square, right? You can swipe and make a payment at a farmer's market or a craft show. So that's one way that um, another company that's taking advantage of payment rails and providing cryptocurrency payments because you don't need that expensive legacy system behind the scenes in order to invest in. <clears throat> now, remember I had talked about in, uh, a few minutes ago how Coinbase had like 20 different business models. One of them is a, I would call it a venture fund. You've heard of venture capital. These are people that are early adopters and investment in companies that they think they can become popular. Twitter, DocuSign, Zoom, Peloton, all these companies that, you know, the technology that we use today, at one time near its inception, was probably received funding from a group of investors willing to take a chance, knowing that for every dollar they invest, they'll probably lose 80 cents of that dollar but the 20 cents that makes it to a really good company could pay back $10, $20, $50. That's what venture capital funds do. They, are, they risk capital and they look for ways they can not just double their money, but triple and quadruple their money because there's such a high failure rate. Coinbase has a small venture fund that's available. And these are the top holdings from February, 2023. If you guys can see that, you can see they've got about 15 or 20 cryptocurrencies that they hold 
and invest in as a project. If these cryptocurrency companies hit it off and they do well, the shares of Coinbase will reflect the popularity of these successful projects that you're looking at here. So when you buy in Coinbase, and I'm not saying this without risk, but just know you are getting a very wide, casting a very wide net in, in investment and speculation in cryptocurrency. Because as, as good as these funds do, Coinbase, it will reflect in their profit and loss statement on their, um, on their shares of their company. So keep that in mind as well. All right, physical cryptocurrency. We've got about 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes to do this. So physical cryptocurrencies. These are companies, these are, these are, again, Bitcoin is a global payment network. It's a reserve asset. It's digital gold. If there's ever going to be a one world currency, it's probably going to be Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum is a global operating system. Ethereum is really important because I have an Android phone. Jesse might have an Apple iPhone. Uh, Maru might have a Google Pixel phone. We use DocuSign, PDFs, Microsoft Word documents. We use all sorts of different programs in order to communicate with each other. Microsoft Excel, uh, Google Sheets. We have Open, Open Office, which also is a free platform for people that want to share information. Ethereum is going to be an operating system that operates globally without the need of um, companies that convert the work into something else. Right, it's a it's a standardized. It's, it's not a one glo It's not a one world order of money. It's like a one global standard of operating systems and computing systems. So someday, every laptop, every screen, every phone, every fax machine, every document that you sign, every time you log into your bank, are all going to be using common, what's called protocols. Protocols are like a handshake. And Ethereum is going to be the global computer operating system. If you're using artificial intelligence, if you're driving a smart car, you have an electric vehicle that's metering the electricity going in your car. If, uh, if the blockchain is keeping track of your toll payments or like anything, it'll go through some kind of Ethereum global operating system. And that's what makes this, this technology so interesting. <clears throat> Stellar Lumen is also a global settlement payment system way cheaper than Bitcoin. Uh, it's not meant to be a complete store of value. It's meant to be like a real fast payment from point A to point B and then get converted into something else. And of course, XRP, Ripple, that is the settlement platform that banks are using today. Sometimes even between banks, it takes days, weeks in order to transfer money from say a bank in Colorado to Austria or Italy or Spain. Now banks can transact with each other in three or four seconds. Imagine that. Nights, weekends, holidays, three-day weekends, it doesn't matter. Banks can now transact money back and forth with each other using the Ripple network that they didn't invent, but they're trying to get their arms around it. They're trying to take that technology. So the SWIFT system, I think, was started in the 70s, um, if I'm not mistaken. Now Ripple is completely blown out and, and so much faster, so much quicker and uh, secure. So Ripple, I'm sure you guys have heard about that too. Another way of investing in cryptocurrencies is to download the Coinbase app. The reason why I say that is because it's such a friendly user interface. You fill out your paperwork, you set up an account, not your paperwork, but you do it online. Take a picture of your driver's license, take a picture of your face, connect your checking account to it, and boom, 
You can move money from your checking account into the Coinbase app and buy and sell cryptocurrencies all day long. And it's one way for people to quickly begin trading and investing in cryptocurrency. You can even set up your, your phone, your Coinbase account to say, every month, I'm going to take $100 and I'm going to invest in Bitcoin or Ethereum or mm, Dogecoin or Cardano. Every month, it takes a reoccurring payment and does your investing for you without even thinking about it. Kind of like a 401k where you just automatically make your contribution every time you get paid. So these platforms are already mimicking and, and using the same things, that the tools that we're using today and they're available in cryptocurrency. So why should we be investing in Bitcoin? Well, there's a forecasting model, forecasting model that suggests that Bitcoin should be trading at about $120,000 per token. Currently it's trading $29,000 a token. This is what makes investment in Bitcoin really interesting right now. <clears throat> and um, the stock to flow ratio, which is what it is, is it, it, it shows you it's a, it's a number that, that talks about how much is currently being produced in the system versus how much is being used. And with Bitcoin, that number is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's going to outpace gold in just a few weeks or a few months. In other words, Bitcoin will be more rare on an annual basis than gold. So that's really interesting. So right now, the gold stock to flow ratio is 62.1. In other words, 205,000 tons are above ground. There's 3,300 tons of gold are mined every year for a stock to flow value of 62.1. Bitcoin has a stock to flow ratio that will uh, not quite exceed that, but it's going to be, it's right now like 59 compared to 62. And this chart shows you that Bitcoin is right where this green level is, and it should rally up to this blue line, which it has done all the way back since 2009, since, since its inception. And so what I want to do is I would like to encourage you to learn more about Bitcoin and blockchain technology. <clears throat> These two books, in my opinion, are the absolute... You know, the, these are, these are must-reads uh, by a Lebanese economist. And why it's so important is because we flippantly talk about hyperinflation here in the United States. We flippantly talk about inflation that our gas prices is $4.20 a gallon. A dozen eggs went from 99 cents a dozen to $6. And I'm not saying that that's not a big deal. I'm saying that's a huge deal. It's just that we tend to use the word hyperinflation and inflation way too often. We don't know inflation until it hits 10,000%, which is where it is in some countries in Africa. Lebanon, Syria, where the prices go up every single day, where people get paid every single day. You don't wait two weeks for your check. You don't wait a week for your check. You get paid every day. And when you're done with work, you go stand in line to get food because the prices are going to be higher the next morning. That's inflation, man. That's devastating to a, to a country. Are we going to get there in the United States? I don't think so. I think, you know, possibly in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I could possibly imagine that. I don't think it'll ever happen here, but it could. But there are theories that the U.S. dollar doesn't want to be a reserve currency anymore. It's too much responsibility. There are rumors that um, the euro dollar, which is really just U.S. dollars held overseas, are going to create their own cryptocurrency. They're going to create their own currency. And they don't want to use dollars anymore because we've been fiscally irresponsible on this end, right? We have um, debt ceiling conversations going on now. This week, I think they're going to 
Congress is going to vote on it, whether to increase the debt ceiling. Like, when do we stop? Right now, we have $30 trillion of outstanding debt. The economy of the, of the United States is roughly $25 trillion, I think. So our debt to gross domestic product, our debt um, level with respect to what we generate, we're about 120% above. In other words, we spent, our debt is already, if you took every man, woman, and child and everything that they create and all the product and, and, and wealth that they create for the course of a year, that you were to take 100% of it, we'd still be in debt uh, at the end of a year. So this is what makes gold interesting. This is what makes silver interesting. This is what makes Bitcoin interesting. So the book on the left, the Bitcoin standard, talks about all the different forms of money that civilizations have had over the years and compares it to Bitcoin. The book on the right says, this is what banks have done with their currency. This is what nations have done with their currency. And this is how Bitcoin solves this problem. And so many of you have, I know you, you can look at the, the cover of the book and say the debt slavery alternative. Okay, wow, debt slavery, that's really big words. But I've got two children that are in their 30s and they have a lot of school debt. And for them, they feel like slaves servicing that debt. And so while it might be almost histrionic or way too a, a good marketing scheme for the title of this book, many people, many, many, many people, and it's sad, are really living paycheck to paycheck. And one of the reasons why they're living paycheck to paycheck is because the government could be just off the leash a little bit with our spending. And it's fueling the inflation that's causing us to live uh, you know, month to month, week to week. And so Bitcoin hopes to return us to a way where when money was sound, we didn't have to worry about all these things. It was, it was our time horizon changes. During the Middle Ages, and even in the Industrial Revolution, when gold was a thing, gold was a currency, our time horizon was longer. We could think of production in terms of weeks, months, years, decades, centuries. But when your money is evaporating and losing purchasing power on a daily or hourly basis, you can't think about that. You can only think about food or shelter or energy or healthcare. And so I don't want to make I'm 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 not I don't want to make a huge case here for um the failing failings of the US dollar. It's still a great thing that we have. We're one of the luckiest nations in the world. But if that changes, right? We all see it in our newsfeed. We hear about it on the radio. Russia, China, Iraq, Middle East, some parts of South Africa, South America, they don't want the US dollar anymore. They're going to create their own, their own currency and China is leading that conversation. What happens if we, you talk about inflation now, what happens when eggs quadruple, your rent quadruples? That could happen in this economy. It could happen if we don't take our fiscal responsibility seriously. And hence, that's also why it's so important for people like Carla, who's doing financial literacy first. We have to learn about the potholes of debt and how to properly invest our money so we can stay ahead of the game. So we can actually have a legacy that we can leave behind to our family members. So I was having a brief conversation with Jesse before I started today. And I was telling Jesse how it's really interesting to me that for the first time in 13 years, emerging markets as an asset class seems to be poised to outperform the U.S. markets. Now, well, you guys might remember this. This happened during 1998 to 2010. Our markets were pretty much unchanged from when Bill Clinton was the president in 98 
to the end of the Great Recession in 2010. Take a look at a chart going back over to that 12 years. The stock market traded in a, high, in a sideways channel. Emerging markets did fabulously well. We saw the same thing happen uh, later on after the dot-com bubble burst. Um, and there's like two time periods where emerging markets did really well compared to the U.S. markets. That just kind of happened in the beginning of this year. So what happens as we are investing in our 401ks, our IRAs, our traditional IRAs, 529 plans for our children, right, and our grandkids? We may see suboptimal returns in the next two to five years or 10 years. What does that mean for emerging markets? It probably means they're going to do better than U.S. markets. What does it mean for Bitcoin and Ethereum? It's probably going to do pretty good. So all we want to do is provide education, financial literacy, and give you an option of where to put your investment dollars. It could be real estate, could be the stock market, could be things that you collect, could be emerging markets. It could also be Bitcoin. And if you guys follow the Bitcoin conversation, I'm telling you guys, this is a real thing. And it's going to, it is in the process of upsetting a centuries-old financial legacy system, the Federal Reserve, U.S. Treasury, banking system. They're so far behind the curve, it's not even funny. And this type of technology will usher in an era of prosperity that, frankly, I'm incredibly excited about, not only for myself, but for my grandkids. So learn about Bitcoin. Don't dismiss it. Consider, as an investment advisor, I tell people 4% of their portfolio should go into cryptocurrency. Just 4%. Because if I'm wrong, and Bitcoin goes to zero, and cryptocurrency goes to zero, your retirement plans aren't any worse off. You're not going to derail your retirement plans. But if it hits, and it hits big, I'm telling you, it's going to be generational-type wealth that can be built in this asset class that most people don't even know about. Thank you very much. Any questions or comments? Yes, Jess. Um, Maru, unmute yourself. Yes, I have a question. Uh, then uh, for Bitcoin, to buy Bitcoin is usually to the platform. What was it? The, uh, what was the name of the platform? Well, but can, uh, why, why is that a platform? Can you buy, for example, um, why don't you buy directly, not directly, but you know how they have the like, for example, the, the mutual fund, funds is a group of companies that are the same kind of area or that ETF, mm -hmm. it has a group. When you don't buy the individual stock, you buy like the, you know, um, a certain amount of money for an ETF, for example, a hundred dollars in an, okay. you know, ETF. But you can also buy, for example, stock from Pepsi Cola or you know the individual stock. Can you yes. buy the individual Bitcoin directly? Not from Bitcoin, but it's not a stock for Bitcoin. Why it has to be from a platform? You know, because for me, a platform sounds like you have to pay those fees. Why not buying directly Bitcoin, for example, okay, or Ethereum? You, you asked really good questions. I remember last week you asked a really great question. Okay, so there right now the, the on-ramp and the off-ramp still requires banks. So the Coinbase app is a platform that charges a fee, maybe $16, maybe it's $6 in order to buy Bitcoin. If you use your retirement account and you have a Roth IRA, remember, 
if Bitcoin, if you buy Bitcoin and pay a commission of $4 and Bitcoin takes off to become worth 120,000 per token, if it does become worth a million dollars a token in four years, you don't have to pay tax on any of those gains. Remember, a Roth IRA means the money grows tax-free, tax-deferred all those years. You pay tax on the way out. I'm not in a Roth IRA, but in a traditional IRA. So <clears throat> there are some advantages to how you buy it. You can buy it with using one of these little USB sticks. This is like a cold wallet solution, right? You can buy it in an ATM machine. ATM machine charges 6%. So right now, it's still kind of new. That's why there's expensive fees. Um, so there's no, there's no zero cost way of buying Bitcoin, Maru. You still have to pay somebody to, for the technology and for the work. And someday those costs will go down in value. So if you only want to buy the Bitcoin, you can do it through your phone at an ATM machine, but you're going to pay 6%. You can use your phone, connect it to your bank account and pay $6. That's, that's not so bad right? Even your 401k, Whoever's, whoever has your 401k, whether it's Northwest Mutual, LPL, Edward Jones, whoever it is, they're charging you an annual fee. Like you just can't get away from that. That's just the way it is. So there's no zero cost way of creating Bitcoin. Did I, did I answer your question of buying it? Okay. Any other questions? All right.